So welcome to episode two of the Birdie Bug Pod. We're going to be talking about curlews, amongst other things, but mainly curlews. But hey, shall we have a catch up, see what we've been doing? Yeah. Um, I wanted to ask you, first of all, about the weird looking crow you posted on your Instagram page. Ah, my leucistic crow. Not an easy word to say. Not an easy word to say. Um, Yeah, it was a bit weird because I'd never, I didn't even know it was a thing, leucism. Sort of like an albino type trait. It is that kind of thing. Less severe. And when I saw the crow um yeah crow with white patches on it and of course then i did the research finding out about leucism have people seen it before and of course i then learned it's very common throughout the animal kingdom yeah i think you often see with quite a lot of well pretty much every animal you'll find weird variations where they're lacking pigmentation or i mean you also see the uh, geographical variants like the hooded crow which obviously has yes. sort of a paler plumage anyway um, but lots of animals especially ones that are bred commercially like snakes and stuff you'll see all sorts of strange yes they mentioned colours. reptiles but particularly snakes yeah. it was very common in it's also very common apparently in blackbirds although i've never seen that in a black i mean obviously you have seen a white starling i've seen a purely white and it's a purely a, a pure, pure white a purely white that a does pure, work a pure white yeah. starling That'll do, wouldn't it? A yeah. pure white starling. I have seen, in fact, I've seen the pure white starling on a number of occasions. Whether it's the same one or not, I'm guessing it is. It's in the same yeah. location every time. Interesting to know, and we will never know, whether or not that crow is bullied or whether it struggles in the mating world, because quite often animals that have these variations are not always looked favourably no, upon by was, individuals. Well, that was one thing I learnt in the research, is that they don't seem to be socially outcast, although they mentioned the research mentioned that it was hard, maybe harder for them to attract a mate. Yeah, and depending obviously on the gene- genetics behind that trait, the fact that you don't see it very often, either that trait's not very dominant and it would be lost in the offspring, or yeah. they're not very successful in having yeah. babies anyway. And so perhaps, well, one of those will be the reason why it's not commonly seen. Funny enough, first time I saw him or her. Um, it, it was in a flock of other crows. So, yeah, I mean, they are quite sociable. But then I saw him, her, yesterday, completely on her own in a field, nothing else around. So, yeah, so I don't know. I don't know whether he's part of the gang, she's part of the gang, or or not. But um, now I've seen her twice. I'm saying him and her, and I don't yeah, know it's... which one it yeah. is, but hey. So, yes, that was, a, that was a really interesting thing to learn about. Yeah, not something... I've seen in a crow. Again, I think I have seen it in a blackbird, maybe, up in Bangor, not too sure. But it was just an interesting thing to see pop up on the Instagram feed, a a crow with with white patches. I thought he looked quite cool. Very interesting. Yeah. Okay. And while you've been out looking at strange crows, I've been in a pond. Nice. <laughs> yeah, it well, was... that's where you you, know, you enjoy being in a pond, don't you? Yeah, Rubbing was... around in the water and the mud. and. I mean, it wasn't obviously looking for animals. It was a good job I bought some wellies. Uh, but essentially the little nature reserve, which I think I did mention in the last episode, that there's a, a small nature reserve near where I've just moved. Yeah. And they have a little volunteer session, I think once or twice a month, uh, where they do a bit of habitat management. And because I had the, had the time, I, I went along and I was pretty much knee deep in a very muddy silty pond digging out uh, an invasive plant species great thing to do though i mean 
right up your street for a start. Yeah, but... and it was. We met, I met some nice people, and it was a variety of activities, mainly removing these invasive plants. It was not easy trying to dig them out of of the pond, and they have these big like tubers on the root, and if you leave like even a tiny bit in there, they just come back. So the benefit of reducing and removing the invasive plants is just obviously the pond thrives. The wildlife thrives. Is yeah, that, is it was. It, it was. Is a, it sort of killing the pond? It was a couple of things. A, they wanted to try and make sure it's like a, a native pond, um, and and didn't have too many invasive species. Two, it was taking over the pond in the sense that it was the amount of like water to plant ratio was changing quite heavily, and yeah. there was there was a lot of it. Um, and also because of the, sh- the sheer amount of uh, of this this plant, I can't remember what it was called. It was silting up the pond a lot as right. well with its sort of vegetation, and it was out competing some of the nice native reeds and things like that. So it was just trying to open up a bit more space for the water, um, essentially, and then make sure that the native plants don't get bullied by it. And uh, yeah, it was good fun. So what happens to all the waste material that you take out? We actually piled it up. We made a few piles in areas nearish the pond, and then that plant matter sort of decays and creates another habitat for lots of insects. I, I guess like also it. you may have pulled out invertebrates and yeah. creatures in that are in that stuff. So if you leave it nearby, yeah, it gives it the chance. They to, gives them the chance yeah. to go back in. I've had to do that with ponds that I've had in my garden when well, you've cleared it out. They always advise. You know, leave the way the material yeah. that just by the side of the pond for a while, and then anything that is in there will find its way. Yeah, and it, it, during the the sort of pulling it out and digging it out, there were so many quite young wolf spiders dotting oh, about okay. on top of the pond, and so it gave them the opportunity to seek refuge somewhere else. Uh, but it does also then form like decaying plant matter, which is quite good for other insects as, as a as a habitat in its own right so and it was a bit like on a much larger scale the pond you used to have in the garden there was along with this big tall reed that i was pulling out lots of uh, pond weed essentially yes. yeah. which again covers the top and sort of yeah. disrupts a lot of the um the ecosystem so people were rolling it back almost like turf which was which was quite cool and we even uncovered an old school chair uh buried oh, wow. buried in the silt we it just had a little back poking out and it was so covered in mud, we ended up strapping like a like a bungee cord around it, and then three of us had to pull it out. You didn't and, find uh, an old headmaster strapped to it, or no. anything? No. Although one of the volunteers did get pretty much stuck, and uh, his his wellies were stuck in the mud, and rumour has it he is still there. <laughs> <laughs> so every time you walk past one, you just have to say hi to the volunteer who got stuck in the pond. <laughs> um, some people keep going back and feeding him. That's yeah, <laughs> I didn't lose a welly, but I very nearly, very nearly did. Uh, but it, yeah, it was good fun and sounds a nice great. thing to be involved in. Sounds sounds good. I've actually been back since, and the pond is looking much nicer. Obviously, the rain has helped. It's it's yes. filled up a bit more, and, and but there's still southern hawker dragonflies darting about, and it's looking good. Brilliant. Well, nice thing to do. Yeah, it was fun. I got to make use of it while I have the time to go and to go and do those things. Yeah. So, curlews. Yeah, they're our largest wading bird in all of Europe, and a bird that's quite close to both of us, and as far as where we live, they're they're on the coast, and we're only sort of ten minutes away. So it's a bird we've seen a lot of. And also a bird that we're rather fond of. Very fond of curlews. They're one of my favourite wading birds. Um, they also, I think, have one of the most uh, iconic calls. Evocative. Yeah, Emotive. Absolutely amazing calls. If you've ever sat... And if you haven't, I thoroughly recommend that you do. If you've ever sat on a warm summer evening looking out over a salt marsh, like I did recently at Pagham, RSPB Pagham Harbour, 
listening to curlews is honestly because in fact i've got goosebumps now literally yeah they are, it is, a, is an incredible sound um quite iconic for the coastline hey this is steve just jumping in while i'm doing the editing because i kind of thought if you hadn't heard of curlew well here it is And so not only are they one of our favourites, and a favourite, I think, of a lot of birders, they are also, sadly, struggling a little bit as far as their population. Struggling and, a lot, actually. And so we thought we'd have a little chat about, first of all, just a quick intro to why curlews are great, uh, what's sort of been happening to them over the last sort of few decades, and what's sort of being done to try and help them. And so it's just a... It's not something I was particularly aware of. Uh, I consider myself relatively up to date on conservation status of, of UK animals. I didn't know that curlews were struggling. And so it's just as an opportunity to sort of just chat about it and make sure that people, yeah, people must are admit, aware. I must admit, I didn't either. Um, I've got very passionate about bird photography over the last couple of years. And it's only over that period, um, having taken pictures of curlews and looking at you know the facts and figures that I've also been made aware that actually they're in a desperate situation they are on the conservation red list status um, not just in the UK but actually globally it's a global problem so that kind of um, makes makes us even more passionate about yeah them. and it was the motivation I think behind giving them a, an episode to themselves definitely uh, because I think we, we need to uh, all awareness about this is so invaluable everybody needs to know because you know there are people talking about if something isn't done if things aren't done to to help the curlew they could possibly be extinct within certainly within 10 to 20 years there will be no curlews in in the UK and Ireland yeah um, I think in particular it's the, the southern England population that's really struggling it's sort of like a arbitrary arbit- arbitrary really? arbitrary arbitrary also not an yeah. issue word. there's there's <laughs> a invisible line essentially <laughs> going across the uk from roughly around birmingham yeah. level and below that line they are really struggling i think it's within eight years they reckon they could be no longer found in in the southern parts of of england and that that's critical because um the uk's population of curlews is internationally important we have i think and you may correct me if i am wrong here we have 30% of Europe's breeding birds, breeding curlews in this country. Um, I was trying to find my, my, my facts and figures. I'm pretty sure that is true. We have, I'll take your word yeah, on it. Um, and so, you know, it's it's absolutely crucial that... Yeah, I think it's also important to note do that... do something about this. As, as a, a sort of example of the fact that if you don't do anything about this, I, again, didn't realise that there are actually eight species of curlew across the world, um, and two of them are already extinct. Sadly, the, the Eskimo curlew, which I think is such a great name... That's a great name. ...hasn't been recorded for the last 50 years, and the Slender-billed curlew for the last 15 years. And so so where, were, where were they found the Eskimo Oh, I curlew. don't know. I'm going to assume north, probably north. Ah, so I've caught you out with yeah. a quiz question there because actually I don't know the answer oh, to that. <laughs> you came across all smug, I thought yeah. you knew. 
I wish I'd found that <laughs> out before I, I gave you that smug look because yeah. actually I don't know. So we have seen curlews go extinct and it would be very upsetting for more to, to disappear, especially the ones that, that we're so accustomed well, you're, to. You're seeing. right about southern England because I think they did draw this line sort of south of Birmingham where they say there's only 250 to 300 breeding yeah. pairs south of Birmingham. Most of the population is, is north. Um, I think the largest populations can be found in North Wales. Uh, the Pennines is yeah, a very in Scotland as well uh, populated area, and the southern and eastern highlands and uplands of um, Scotland. Yeah, and I think. Well, and funny enough, one of the first times I took I photographed curlews was Yorkshire. in Yorkshire in the Pennines with my brother-in-law who worked nearby to a. I think it was a um, used to be an old quarry, and they'd rewilded this quarry, so it had pits of water and and uh, grassland as well and of course they breed in in um, grassland areas so that was the first time i saw curlews and took photographs which again sort of weird because i always associated with them it was with the beach it was weird because it was right in the middle of the pennines but um but if you don't know what a curlew looks like it's long legged long bill big downwards curving bill sticks it into the ground and eats critters and things like that yeah shrimps and stuff like that uh what you said earlier about the UK population being important. It's because we don't just have our own population that sort of overwinters here and, and is relatively uh, consistent, but we also support quite a lot of the breeding birds that, that come over here to breed. And so we support both sets, you know, our own population and a breeding I've got, population. I've got a statistic about that. Find somewhere. your statistic. Uh, I need my glasses on. So UK breeding, 66,000 pairs. Um breed in uh, in this country and that is i've got it here 30 percent of the european population so it's a hugely important um important place for curlews and sadly the the decline has been dramatic yeah so before we get on to a sort of some some stats and and facts and figures about the decline and, and the uh, sort of significance of it but also what's caused that and what's being done i have actually done you a little curlew quiz no to, to see how well you know them to be honest i i wouldn't have known these until i'd done the research uh, okay so, so if i don't answer these questions you're not going to no it is more of an excuse for me to try and get some cool facts without just yeah, rattling well, off facts okay. so i can always say i don't know and then you can tell them yes <laughs> tell the, the facts so are you ready for your curlew quiz? i am ready and right. waiting question one yes is a multiple choice what is a group of curlews called a a curfew, B, a salon, C, a skine, or D, all of the above? I think it's all of the above. It is, which I'm a bit disappointed in because I really wanted a group of curlews to be called a curfew. Yes, that would have been awesome. Or, it? the, it's unusual for them to have three yeah, words associated with a group. Yeah, you see a couple sometimes. Because um, I was like, with going back to crows, I was like, a crows is a, a murder yeah. of crows. Which is why if you see two, it's an attempted murder. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah, that, that is good. And I think a, a parliament of owls is also yes, one that, that I quite like, idea. especially as they are famously not very smart. Um, question two in Curlew Quiz is what is the average lifespan of a curlew? A, three years, B, five years, C, seven years, or D, nine years? I think they're quite long lived and I would say nine. No, they are. The average lifespan is five years ah, okay. for a curlew, which is still, you know, it's not short. I only say that because I read, I read in one of the bits that I was doing about curlews that they were quite a long-lived bird. Oh, okay. 
Well, yeah, I guess in comparison. I suppose five years. Five years. Yeah. Uh, this is not multiple choice. So this is what I just want to see roughly how um, close you would get with a guess. Is how heavy do you think a curlew is? Given that birds are famously quite light, but and it is quite a big bird. Do you want it in kilos? Uh, yes. I would say... This is going to sound. I'm going to sound really. It's a really dumb. hard thing to estimate. I'm going to say I'm basing it on the weight of my cat, <laughs> <laughs> who is a big lad. So is he the same weight? I reckon the six kilos. Actually, the the weight of a curlew is between seven hundred and seventy grams to one kilogram. Oh my god! So I've got that really yeah. bad. Obviously, birds are famously quite light creatures. I they're quite chunky. Yeah, but they got their six kilos. People say hollow boned, and it's it's not quite a hollow bone I'm going to have to bone... edit out my answer no though, no cause... you have to leave it in the, the bone... <laughs> 6 kilos is quite embarrassing density obviously has to be quite low because they, they fly so they have to be relatively light yes I suppose trying yeah. to fly I'm, I'm just... yeah okay uh, so another question which I was I didn't know whether to make this a question but we'll, we'll do it because it's a very difficult one unless you know it is what is the scientific name for a curly I know I do know that because I've got quite interested in taxonomy in birds because it's actually quite fascinating about how they're scientific names originated the scientific name for a curlew is a numenius arquata yes that is correct thank you um i do have a cool fact about the genus name which i again i'll put it as a quiz question and you might know now if now that i've found out you've been researching it but what do you think the genus name numenius numenius yeah, Numenius. I didn't know if it's Numenius or Numenius. It's always a bit of a toss-up exactly how you pronounce these things. Uh, what do you think it means? Well, I must confess I do know that, and it's made up of two Greek words, which mean new moon. And there is, um, there are there are theories, the fact that the shape of a new moon, a crescent moon, is the same as the shape of a bill of a curlew. It is quite cool. I do like that side of the taxonomy. Well, I've got another one for you then. So... How do you think Arquata came about? Apart from the fact it sounds like a football manager, I don't know. Ah, well, I do know that one. And Arquata apparently is the Latin name for bow-shaped or archery bow. So the bow-shaped being the bow-shape of the bill. So they went very heavy on the bill-shape when it comes to, to naming on, yes. the curly. Yeah, fascinating. Yeah, Taxonomy cool. is fascinating. It is until you get down to the scientists who argue about whether or not a house spider should be a ratogena or a tegenaria, and it's just... Really well, yes, relevant. and also I don't think it's an exact science because they seem to change well, it depends things and they very change. heavily whether you're in the camp of people who want to classify it based on physiology yeah. or whether you want to do it on genetics, and that typically changes things. It's quite also heavily. really hard to remember them all. I'm yes, trying really, it is. I'm trying to remember all the scientific names for all the small birds that I photograph, and I I can remember a few, but actually associating some visual stuff like Numenius and Arquata does help because yeah. I don't think I'll forget that one now. Yeah, so that is that concludes Curlew Quiz. I didn't do too bad. No, you did pretty good. The six Part- kilos. <laughs> it's a very heavy curlew. That's like my cat trying to fly, isn't yeah. it? <laughs> yeah. yeah. That is a chunky bird. Yeah, that's a chunky bird. <laughs> like some feline turkey trying to get up into the air. Uh, so before we get into like the you know the, the sad stuff, just a few more little introductory points about the curlews. You know that they normally lay their eggs in the first week of May, 
uh, roughly sort of four eggs per clutch. Um, interestingly, the, the chicks normally learn to fly between sort of 32 and 38 days after hatching. So a month later, they're, they're taking off. Uh, and quite crucially for the rest of the story of, of this episode, they are ground nesting birds. So they, they build a little nest. I think it's called a scrape. It is called a scrape. Which is yes. another cool word. Yeah. Um, and yeah, they build a little, little nest on the ground so that they're not up in, up in trees. And that is quite relevant to um, the issue today. But that's, that's very common for wading birds. Uh, so I guess we've given them a nice nice introduction. We'll talk about sort of why they are struggling. In, in the UK and worldwide. Yeah, and I guess the first point, which always seems to be the most uh, important point when we come to talk about the decline in not just birds, but in wildlife in general, is habitat loss seems to be the the biggest issue for curlews. They are uh, ground nesting. Um, they lay their eggs in this scrape on the ground, mostly in grassland, um, uh, boggy areas of farmland, moorland. Uh, moorland. And of course, um, all of this is being affected by intense farming, changes in uh, agricultural uh, processes for growing grass and cutting grass. And also intensified farming has, and you may be able to tell me why, has uh, caused an increase in in predation as well. So the predators that uh, take the eggs, foxes and crows, their population has uh, has increased dramatically in the last 10 or 15 years, mainly down to the changes in in farming practices. Yeah. So, yeah, that, that the main point is the fact that their habitat is is being lost. Um, and they, they really do like a, a variety of vegetation length. So they, they need some medium, some tall uh, sort of grasses and, and reeds, as well as patches of shorter vegetation where they can actually build yeah. the nest. And when it comes to things like agriculture and grazing areas, obviously that tends to be much more uniform. So they, they lose that cover. And um, that normally leads to nests being able to be disturbed a lot uh, more easily. So the predation increase comes from sort of two points. First of all, the population of crows and foxes, which happen to be two Oh, animals, I have an interesting animals. fact about those. Oh, yeah. So their population, <laughs> both of their populations have increased quite noticeably in the UK. Apparently we have the highest population density of carrion crows in the whole of Europe. Yeah, I didn't know that. And the second highest of foxes. Do you know who has the highest? Sorry? Do you know who has the highest? I should have found that bit out as well. Because I don't, that's why I was asking. I don't. Um, Yeah, so the fact that we've got these two big populations, obviously crows and foxes have always been prevalent, but they are now far more uh, abundant, on top of the fact that they're losing a lot of cover when it comes to their nests, which means that it's a lot easier for predators to locate and find the nests than those sort that go hand in hand for nests struggling, um, which is a key point that the decline in curlews is not due to adults dying off or hunting or, or things like that. It is all down to the fact that the nests are failing, either to produce chicks or for the chicks to actually survive. And so the, the focus really needs to be around the nesting part of their life cycle. Yes, I think there, you know, I read that um, a lot of the, the wetter areas of the farmlands are being drained and reseeded. And of course, that that's a big loss of habitat for, for the curlews that yeah. 
Um, and on top of the the habitat loss that comes with, like you say, the the drainage, um, fertilizers, and, and and grass reseeding, you also just end up with a much drier habitat, which reduces yeah. the um, populations of insects. Insects typically breed very uh, predominantly in wetter areas, and it is the insects, especially insect larvae and, and things like that, that the curlews feed on. Uh, which is also then important for for the chicks to because the chicks are very much um, until they've learned to fly you know restricted to their nesting area if there's not an abundance of food they then struggle to to develop properly and and you know become essentially fit adult birds uh, so as well as the habitat loss we're also seeing a reduction in their food sources um, which is an issue and like I say a lot of that comes from changes in in farming um, there was a really interesting study. I say interesting, but also quite sad study. Uh, this was across all of Europe. It wasn't just across the UK. And this really emphasises the fact that it's the breeding success that is the problem. And they found that over 70% of nests between 1996 and 2006 failed to hatch a single chick. And of those that did hatch, only half actually survived to, to fledgling. Um, so it's That's all, a bad statistic. Yeah, it's a bad it? statistic. And it, it really does emphasise the fact that the, the nests are struggling. You mentioned the predation, yes. foxes. Yeah. So again, another a few facts and figures from a study. They found that um, predation increased from 16% to 65% yes, that's percent a, that's across a big increase, Europe. Isn't it? And that's compared um, from pre-1980 and to that same uh, time period of 96 to 2006. Um, and that they found that up to 97% of nest failures and 74% of chick mortalities were due to predation from foxes and, and other birds. So again, it really shows that it's 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 this predation yes, nest that's, that's and Northern Ireland in particular. Um, that statistic applies to Northern Ireland is a is a is a serious problem um, for curlew decline, and um, it's really sad because. Yeah it's likely that they will become extinct in northern ireland before southern england southern england interesting so, yeah it's yeah. um it, it it is really serious now yeah it is becoming quite a, a pressing issue and i, and I think well, i think the rspb um has said it's that the curlew is now the highest priority bird conservation project you know of all of yeah. the whole of the whole bird population in the uk the curlew is the most pressing high priority problem yeah i think considering you know we we've only really become that aware of it you know quite recently they were put on the red list in 2015 december of 2015 and so that feels like not long ago but it is actually quite a long time ago and it's, it's sort of um it's it's sad that we're only really realizing quite how dire the situation is obviously the researchers do but i mean like the general public it's only now that i'm seeing it on lots of bird related websites and instagram pages yes and there are lots of the, actually there are lots of little organizations springing up and and have been going for some 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 have been going for some time that are that are really trying to highlight uh, the plight of the curlew so yeah, which, yeah. it's not just the rspb and the bigger ones there are lots of smaller ones i mean curlew action that org is a is a classic example of yeah. that and i mean curlew actually we'll talk a little bit at the end or, or close to the end about exactly what's being done and, and these these organizations that are really pushing uh this issue uh but they also have like a really good little uh, downloadable pdf that summarizes what's happening what they're doing and what people can do so we'll i'll stick all that in the show notes so people can go and find out a where we've got our information from and also if they want to learn a little bit more um 
the other thing, just going back on what's causing issues, we, we spoke about how agriculture can uh, destroy the habitat. I didn't realise is that because of the time in which they nest, the big uh, combine harvester, is that the word? I don't know, the big farming equipment that does all the hay, essentially. Cutting the grass for yeah. silage and stuff, yeah. That um, can actually cause, essentially, curlew death. When they are startled by something potentially life-threatening, not a great evolution trait, they tend to freeze which means they can end up getting caught up in that sort of machinery and, and that's another yeah, so there potential is, there problem. Is, in some of the research, there there is speculation that also the farmers are cutting the grass earlier so yes. for silage. So they're actually, the practices have changed so that they are this intense farming, as we call it. They're cutting grass much earlier, which of course is destroying eggs. Yeah. Um, and I mean, on a sort of smaller part because you know we focus very heavily on on the agricultural side and then to be fair you know it's it is one of the, the biggest issues um, because it links into the other ones like the increased predation but it's also just the education of the public you'll find that when you go to rspb reserves or any sort of nature reserve where curlews nest they'll have big signs up and it ends up being one of those things where people um, especially sort of kids and pets things like dogs off leads can also end up going and and disturbing these nests as well so while the agricultural side is quite a, a big point it is also important to realize that it's not just the farming it's sort of our entire attitude around maintaining oh, these, yeah, these we habitats. Can't blame it all on the farmers so the situation is not great however like you said there are organizations working towards trying to there help the curlew and there is hope and we the, like that word hope there are a variety of uh, ways because we can't stop farming. We still need to farm. And as populations grow, farming has to grow to accommodate for our um, expanding population. So we can't just you know, cut off farming and, and rewild all of the land into wetlands for curlews. So, but there are a variety of sort of um, strategies being put into place to try and help the curlews. Yes, yeah, so and what's nice is those organisations like RSPB and WWT and BTO. BTO are working as closely as they can with the farmers. Yes. And I think the farmers are becoming very receptive to that. And, I mean, they've and always been called guardians of the Definitely. countryside. And, and I think now so that... The nice, it's the nice thing is that they're working together yeah. uh, to try and, um, try and help this situation. And so I think what we've really emphasised is that the key thing that we need to focus on is protecting their habitats especially those that are related to the breeding yeah. part of a curlew as i said we've been working with farmers so one of the big things that they've been trying to do is actually delay that hay cutting that that grass um process and push it just back a little bit to prevent any accidental disturbance of nest or or curlew casualties uh which is a a real key um strategy and i think hopefully we'll end up being one of the really important ones because that not only stops goes from dying but it actually protects that habitat for for the time being um when it comes to the predators slightly harder thing to manage predators have obviously always been a uh, part of nature um and you know the, the increased population of crows and foxes is a is an aspect but really it's the fact that the nests are no longer protected and so we, we need to find a way of protecting essentially nests and baby curlews from other predators. than culling yeah other than culling because it's always a, an arms race between predator and prey and normally in nature there's a pretty good balance where the predators are still fed to maintain their population uh they control the curlew population in the sense that if you got rid of all predators bird populations would potentially skyrocket and, and that then throws a balance somewhere else 
But we've now shifted that because we've essentially contributed to this uh, increased uh, death of curlews. So we have to find a way to mitigate our impact. And one of the ways that I think is more, I don't know, acceptable, other than going out and shooting a bunch of foxes or crows, is to actually build uh, fences around key nesting sites. To sort of Protected areas, yeah. yeah. That's what we need is protected areas. And foxes frequently find a way through fences as they people, anybody who keeps animals in their garden will, will know but it definitely acts as a, as a deterrent yeah. and, and things like that and it also stops the disturbance from dogs which again is, a, is another potential issue so building these protected nesting yes yeah, so actually if you go if you visit any of the rspb sites during nesting time the, the, the rspb are brilliant at that they'll stop they'll they'll fence areas off they'll stop uh the public and certainly the dogs going anywhere near those nesting sites yeah um, and i think the a lot of the rangers in these reserves play a role in this um, massive role, protection uh, against predation in, in maintaining the the fences making sure that it is still a protected area and it hasn't actually just yeah and of course like everything that needs funding and that's yeah. where we can help for, yeah and i mean you know, if you go to any of these websites rspb code action you can obviously join and and, and help you don't just have to, to join you can just do a donation yeah. and all of that donation and these organizations are brilliant at using the money in the right way i think the rspb make a big thing about the fact that 90 percent of their contributions their charitable contributions are used for the protection of yeah. their birds and their sites and so you know, just making a donation, it can be as you know, small. Um, you know, we're not on our soapbox to try and push people donating, but it's a good thing yeah, to it's, do. It's, it's, These it's, are the, some of the ways that we can help. Yeah, and if you, if you want to, obviously that that is that is something that can that can be done for the people who like doing like like me, you go and jump in ponds. A lot of these, um, yeah, a lot of these organisations yeah. will have voluntary programs yeah. where you can go and go and help out. Beyond building these protected sites, the other key thing, and this is the slightly harder aspect of curlew conservation, is back on our old episode, rewilding. And so there are periphery areas of land. Nice the way that's followed. Yeah, sort of linked in quite nicely. If we find areas that have perhaps are no longer farmed or that we've seen a lot, again, we mentioned it last week, where farmers are being encouraged to rewild areas of their land if they can maintain patches of wetland with you know variety of uh, vegetation lengths and things like that that key habitat for um for curlew breeding then that again key, uh, ties in with the predation problem if they are more spread out and all the curlew nests aren't stuck in one small local restricted area that if there's lots of predators in the area they're very susceptible if they're more spread out with more breeding sites and more availability of habitat then it again spreads the predation problem out as well. Yeah, and also the benefit of that, because it's not just the curlew that's having a problem with this loss of habitat. Lapwings. Yeah, all birds ground that, wading birds that, birds. Yeah, ground nesting birds. They're all suffering because of this habitat loss that we've discussed, you know, here today. So yeah. the, the, the benefits are huge, not just for the curlew. Yeah, and so if we can work towards restoring areas of curly breeding habitat that is the ideal situation uh, and again hopefully we'll tie back into working closely with farmers because a lot of them are trying to rewild patches of the land yeah, and that doesn't need to be an entire key. field but if their field backs onto a coastal moorland it's just letting it sort of recede a little bit yeah. and giving a little bit back to yeah and to as again habitat. as we we discussed in the last episode that can work you, yeah. the two can work together um quite well and there are huge a number of examples of that happening now um while ken hill i keep referring to but nepostate yeah it's, it's a classic example of how 
commercial farming and rewilding can work together. Um, and it's so important, you know, it's so important that, that we, we keep bringing this awareness, I think. Yeah, I, I agree. And I've said a few times, one of the reasons why I really wanted to do an episode on curlews is it's a really dire situation for a quite a beloved bird that I didn't know about and a lot of my friends didn't know about. And so no, it's something actually, that you, know, you say a beloved bird and it goes back through through centuries of culture and folklore. They used to be eaten. I didn't know that. And poetry, that was an interesting fact. They were so numerous in Cornwall in particular that you could find them hanging up in butchers' uh, shops and there were recipes for curlew pie. That's how numerous they were. Um, That stopped in the 40s. Yeah, well, the fact um, that that stopped in the 40s and the big decline period that they've been looking has been sort of since the 1990s shows that it's really this habitat change and land use change that's been the the situation their population was okay but you know in culture with poetry dylan thomas robbie burns they've all eulogized about the curlew and the the sound of the curlew uh, in poetry and music and so you know it's a real iconic bird um and i mean like you touched on there with with the other ground um nesting sort of wading coastal birds it's Doing these things will prevent this from happening to other species. At the moment, it's the curlew, but if we carry on, curlew might go extinct, and then it's the next species that struggles. And well, so, so lapwing yeah. are, are having a, a struggle at the moment so for this, the same reasons. Yeah, so this obviously episode red shank as well. There are there are yeah. numerous birds, and we focused on the one that's currently in trouble. But it is one of those things where you know if we lose the curlew, that problem doesn't stop, and so it, it's which species is next really. And so by protecting the curlew, we end up protecting all sorts of other stuff. Um, Beyond Definitely. the fact that, obviously, as we spoke last week, we want rewilding is just a great thing anyway. Definitely. Um, so we, we've touched on you know working with farmers to sort of alter their practice slightly, whether that's the timing or habitat management. Bit of rewilding on top of the protection of, of the current or the surviving nesting sites. The other thing, which is key and a lot, again, done by people like the BTO and the RSPB, is continuing to survey and actually monitor the population so that we know that the strategies in place are working if they're not working it's just keeping an eye on the population to see how it's yes changing and surveying is an issue actually because they're struggling to to do the required amount of surveying because of lack of uh, resources yeah. and people and funding and and you're absolutely right the, the survey um, work is absolutely huge yeah because to, there, there will always be fluctuations in populations just as a natural uh, part of of nature, really, and it's all part As, of, of of you know of gathering all of that data. That data is so important to to be able to to you know to to see what effects yeah the, the changes are happening and and the campaigns and the projects. So lots and lots of little projects that are going on, and the only way that we can find out whether they're successful or not is through surveying and data. And, yeah, and so just monitoring the population, and then and then finally with that research is is the education side, making sure that like like what we're hopefully doing today is is making people aware of the situation. If you visit reserves, making sure that people know not to disturb these areas, and so it's just the education ties into the research, making sure that we know what's happening to the population and that people are aware of what needs to be needs to be done and hopefully a combination of all these strategies will bring the curlew back from the brink well of- as we say we like this word hope and there are, there is hope because there are numerous uh, organizations that are working so hard to change this situation and the awareness is growing and the more that they're putting out information about 
what needs to be done and the work that they're doing and how we can help, there is hope. Yeah. And there has to be hope. And I think we... we we talk about the RSPB a lot. They're they're an organisation that's very close to to our hearts, and and they do great work. The, the organisation I wasn't I'm aware we of. Both sitting here with know. RSPB t-shirts yeah. on. I'm you supporting have Team Avocet. I'm supporting Team Kingfisher. Um, so yeah, so they they will likely crop up in a lot of podcast episodes. The organisation I hadn't heard about until you mentioned it to me was actually Curlew Action, and it is their yeah. website and the downloadable PDF that I mentioned where I actually got quite a lot of the information for this podcast from. They do a fantastic job, Curlew Action. They really are absolutely passionate. Small organisation, but so passionate. And yeah, um, so if you do want to find out more... Or and again, you can go on there and you can donate and you can... I don't think it's a membership, but there's a, certainly a donation button um and and they're working they're working so hard yeah and it's uh, always nice to see an organization with a uh, real sort of narrow niche focus you know they are dedicated yeah, they to really the curlew and so if you do want to find out more about what's happening uh, to them and what can, needs to be done and what is being done then their website and they've got loads of resources there for people to, yeah, to it's go a and great have a look. Site, so it's, it's, it's a, a really, really good, good website and you can uh, yeah follow them on, on social media and obviously you've also got the wetland um wwt is the world wetland trust yes yeah they they obviously have big investors in this being that they focus heavily on wetlands um another area or website where i stole quite a lot of information from so yeah they've got uh, lots of good information about the curlew and lots of brilliant uh reserves where you can can go and see them and obviously the the bto uh british trust of ornithology they do a lot of the research side of things they fund quite a lot of of data yeah and again, if yeah, if you are a data and a graph fan, their their website's full well, like of you, it. you mean? Yeah, I, I do <laughs> like, like a graph. I do like a good graph. Um, and so yeah, there is hope, and there are these organisations working very very hard to try and help the humble curlew. Yeah, absolutely, and uh, it, it's it's great to see. So it's been a, a bit of a sappy episode, really, because it's we're, uh, we're very fond. We're of very curlew. fond of them, and it's it's sad to see what's but happening. I think so. we're also very fond of. Um, seeing action being taken to try and save not just the curly but wildlife in general. So we are we're sappy about that. Yeah, and and hopefully the hopefully listening to us um, has not only inspired people to go and see a curly, and if it not see one, at least go listen to one. Uh, but also just to have a little look at all the work that's being done to try and try and protect the beautiful bird. Definitely. It was a good chat. It was a good I, chat. I like that one. Uh, I don't know how many of our episodes would be focused on a single species, uh, but I just couldn't resist because yeah, no, it's just too, too good. It's a good shout. So thank you, thank you for joining yeah, thanks, us. Thanks for, for episode listening, two. And, um, we'll let you know about episode three. Yeah. Now go listen and see a curlew. And hear a curlew. I did say listen. Did you? Yeah, I said see and listen a I, curlew. I, well, yeah, we'll do both of those. That'll do.